0: Throughout history, and especially into the modern day, people have searched for the meaning of life. That one thing, that idea, that maxim or set of principles, that objectively and clearly describes why we exist and what we are here to do. Greek philosophers wrestled with this question and came up with many conflicting answers. Some, like Epicurus or Aristippus, believed that the meaning of life was maximizing pleasure while others, like Zeno, the father of Stoicism, insisted that life's meaning was found in practicing virtues, like discipline or courage. In the traditions of the East, a very different approach came, through the pursuit of non-duality or meaninglessness. This eventually led to the modern-day philosophy of nihilism, that basically life doesn't have any inherent meaning whatsoever. And still yet another approach to this age-old question has been that man can create his own meaning, life is ultimately what you make it. So with all these conflicting opinions on something so core to our humanity, like why we're here and what we're supposed to do to fulfill that purpose, which perspective is right? For such a great goal it matters that we aim our focus rightly. Otherwise missing the mark means missing the whole point of our existence. The stakes are indeed very high here Yet thankfully, answering this question is not nearly as difficult as it may seem so long as we are willing to accept the answer. Today I will aim to show you that all of these previously outlined perspectives have within them a tiny bit of truth, yet because they are missing the key component, which is God, they land far away from the mark and the consequences are great as a result. We start our journey then with the most important point, that God exists. The Bible says that in creating the world, God left ample evidence of His existence so that mankind is without excuse. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Romans 1 verse 20 We all recognize the inherent beauty power, and majesty of creation, and that is why going out into nature is so refreshing. It's a delightful thing to feel so small in the presence of a vast expanse, and that's because our hearts are designed to seek after the infinite. The Bible says that we were made in the image of God, and what that means is that we are exclusively designed to have a relationship with God. Out of all things in creation, mankind alone has this specific purpose— And it's the highest purpose there is, because God is the infinite, omniscient, all-powerful creator and source of all life. But if we take God out of the picture, then we are left with a big problem. It's impossible to fill the infinite gap that he leaves behind. Nothing in the world can fill this void, which is why none of the ways people have tried to answer the question of the meaning of life have truly been satisfactory. The pursuit of worldly pleasures leads to addiction and superficiality, creating an empty life without substance because the ultimate pleasure we were created for is to come to know and be with God. Likewise, practicing virtues like discipline and courage is also fruitless without a connection to the Creator. In the end, we are not the source of life, nor can we control anything that happens in the world. And what this means is that our source of virtue must come from something outside of us, rather than from within. This idea is completely contrary to the world, because the world teaches you that man is inherently good. But what does God say about these things? The truth is that man is not inherently virtuous or even capable of true virtue without a relationship to the Creator. Because our representatives, Adam and Eve, disobeyed, they were punished with death and the world they were given was also cursed with the same. As a result, our bodies and creation as a whole grown every day to be redeemed. Redeemed from our sadness, from our pain, from our failure, from our ego, from our fears, and from the problems of being human. When Jesus walked the earth, he often had conflict with the religious figures of his time, namely the Pharisees. One of the key themes in these conflicts was the Pharisees' use of virtue for self-gain, pumping themselves up with pride over the average person because of their status, because of their knowledge, and even because of their good works. Jesus rebukes such empty virtue many times, and this is the point. Stoicism, which teaches that the meaning of life is found in practicing virtue, ignores the many examples found in history that testify against the human heart and how it will use anything, even virtue, to elevate itself and get lost in pride. The Bible tells us that the heart is desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9. That we cannot lean on our own understanding. That's Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. That the God of this age, who is Satan, has blinded the minds of people. That's 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. That even our good deeds are like filthy rags when they're not grounded in a relationship with God. That's Isaiah 64, verse 6. And that nobody seeks after God or godly things naturally. That's in Romans 3, verse 10, and in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Knowing all of this, how then can anyone rely on their own heart to produce virtue? The answer is that we can't, and this is why we need a relationship with God, as it was meant to be, so that he can give us a new heart, his heart, so that we can indeed be more virtuous. Virtue is not found from within, but rather from having a relationship with God, and it is not perfect by our own efforts, but rather the efforts of a perfect being working through us. Another approach to solving the meaning of life is seen in the practices of non-duality and meaninglessness. Some have even taken this one step further and stated that, because there's no inherent meaning to life, it means that you and I can create our own meaning and make of life whatever we want. There are several problems with both of these attitudes, so let's break it down. Although in some respect it is true that this life and all of its troubles are indeed meaningless in the grand scheme of eternity. The non-dualists and the nihilists have cut God out of the equation, and as a result, they have nothing left but an empty void to stare into. Accepting this belief requires constant cognitive dissonance, because man was created with intent, with meaning, and with purpose by God. We were also created to speak, understand, play music, sing, be creative, write poetry, express our emotions and name things, like the way God asked Adam to name the animals, and so much more. Meaning is inherently part of our being and inherently part of existence. To deny this fundamental aspect is to deny your own nature and therefore to deny yourself life. It also says that you believe you are the ultimate determiner of what life actually means, or whether life has any meaning at all for that matter, as opposed to relying on God to provide that meaning for you through a trusting relationship. Believe it or not, the Bible actually warns of the dangers of this kind of thinking in the very beginning in the book of Genesis. When Satan tempts Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit, he does so by appealing to her ego, telling her that she could be the God of her own life, the one who can determine what is truly good and what is evil. In other words, he deceives her into the idea that she doesn't need God to determine the meaning of things, that God can't be trusted, and that she, can determine what is good on her own. Today, these attitudes are very alive and well in the New Age and personal growth movements, and they are sadly leading many astray from the truth. We cannot control when we die. We do not have control over anyone, and life is extremely fragile. The modern world, with all of its comforts, tries to hide this morbid truth, but it does so at a great cost. When we are truly aware of the great suffering that is inherent to life, and also that we die and there's nothing we can do about it, we naturally despair. This despair, though, is by design. It is the, quote, bad news that is intended to lead us to the good news, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God became man in the flesh, took on our sins as a burden, and paid the ransom we deserve to a just God, thereby affording us eternal life with Him instead of death. Through faith in this perfect work, which is testified to in the scriptures, we receive a new heart and become a new creation, one that will be resurrected at the end of the age in perfection and live with the Creator forever in bliss. This final perfect destination is the inevitable end of history and the singularity which is drawing all things toward it. The question then is not what the meaning of life is, but rather it is this, will we be on the right side of history in order to enjoy it or not? From the beginning, mankind was created with the highest possible purpose there is to come to know and be in a relationship with the infinite God. When we return to this purpose, we also answer the meaning of life, and we do so effortlessly because God promises to do the work through us himself when we place our faith and trust in him. The word joy is found about 179 times in the Bible with 41 of those occurrences being found in the Psalms and 62 of those occurrences being found in the New Testament. Although many people associate Christianity with humility and self-denial, which are important, the ultimate message of the Gospel is one of profound joy and delight. It is the joy of fellowship with God, who is the source of all love, life, and perfection in the universe. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 verse 2 that Jesus endured the shame and brutality of the cross because of the great joy that was set before him. What joy is this exactly? The joy of reconciling a people to himself, saving them from death and suffering and granting them eternal life so that they can bask in his glory forever and ever. Because being in God's presence is the ultimate source of joy one can experience, God sharing that presence with those who neither deserve it nor could ever earn it, is the most loving thing that he could possibly do. This is why the Gospel answers the question of the meaning of life. You have heard many today say that the meaning of life is to be happy. And this again has some truth to it. But the follow-up question is even more important. What is the source of your happiness? If it is the world, then you will find yourself in a never-ending chase that ultimately leads you nowhere. Because the world is dying, and so are you. Yet, if your source of happiness is the eternal Creator, who does not change and shares His perfection generously with those who come to Him in faith, then truly you have found the meaning of life. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. John 15, verse 11.